Uh, it's not often I have a conversation with Mars that I, I don't walk away grateful for who this man is. You know, really, it's, it's less about the things you think about or the things you read or the things you know. It's, it's really, it's just more about who you are. And, you know, I think uh, when I think about Marcel, this is a man who loves God and who desires the things that he's come to know about God and understand about the way he works and the revelations about life that you come to. Like, you're a sharer of those things with the people around you. And, yeah, I think that this morning's just an appropriate picture of that, of how you live, of what you already do, of how you relate to me, that, that you're an imparter of the things that you've come to value and know. And so, yeah, I'm, I just appreciate you sharing this morning, putting time into putting some thoughts together. And, yeah, just love you take it away great well i'm actually gonna stop by asking keith to come up and uh read a piece of scripture for us so this is matthew 13 1 to 23 Thanks. yes so i was surprised as well Um, I might just pray first. Yes. I certainly need it, I think. <laughs> so thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, that we can come together like this today, wherever we are, even if we're not here in person. We know that we're all together in the Spirit. And uh, we just thank you, Lord, for your, your presence here with us, wherever here is. We thank you for your peace and your love that you just pour out over us. I just pray that we continue to live out, live in you, live out that love and that peace from you in our every day. And I just pray for more of that, more of your love. Just keep pouring your love out over us. Wherever we are now and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got in a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told... Sorry, my eyes are a bit dodgy. I've got to get my glasses right. <laughs> Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has the will, be given more. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fruitful. In the prophecy of Isaiah. Sorry. In them is fruitful, the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They have hardly heard with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your, e your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I tell many prophets and righteous people, sorry, I tell many 
prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed along the path. The seed fallen on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160, 30 times what was sown. Amen. Thank you, Keith. I'm the first time, so give me give me grace here today. Yeah, it's a real honour to be up here and sharing, um, and kind of yeah, it's been a fun journey getting to this point, and yeah, I'll just I'll I'll dive in. Google, Apple, Facebook, PayPal, Adobe, Visa. What do all these companies have in common? Other than their scale, global reach, impact, they're all headquartered in one place. Silicon Valley in California. And while it's geographically about half the size of metropolitan Melbourne, it outproduces per capita more than any other nation on the planet. The Guardian reports that the per person output from Silicon Valley outpaces Qatar and puts the valley squarely in the company of such wealthy territories as China's casino peninsula Macau and Europe's sumptuously medieval Luxembourg. Why? What is it about Silicon Valley that allows the region to produce what it does? Is it just coincidence or chance? Is Silicon Valley just full of very, very lucky people? What is it about this region? A local journalist suggests that the entrepreneurial environment of Silicon Valley is characterized by innovation, collaboration, and risk-taking. It provides the essential motivational framework for startups to scale. Pay close attention to the language used here. Silicon Valley has an environment, an environment characterized by certain values, values not arbitrarily selected. These contribute to a framework or an underlying support structure that allows the system to support itself. There are few places better suited to scale startups, to unicorns and onto global companies. If wealth is your goal, Silicon Valley appears to be good soil. So in November, Soph and I purchased our first house. Woo! Um, but for the first time in our lives, we were singly responsible for the place we call home. Up until this point, we could look to our parents to make repairs or maintain the lawns. Uh, they were responsible and they bore the cost. Uh, when we were married and moved into our rental, in reality, the only thing that changed was that when something broke, we would call a different phone number. <laughs> our oven broke, our aircon leaked, there was mold in the bathroom. Remarkably, and to this day, I still don't know how or why, but our lawns were mowed every single fortnight. I was, I was, I was sure never to ask any questions. Uh, we would call and someone would come and soon enough solve our problems. And importantly, someone else would pay for it. This all changed, however, when we got the keys to Fiona Court. Leaky toilet, long grass, 
dirty carpet, dodgy shelves, moldy blinds riddled with long dead and now flattened insects. <laughs> yes, no one else is going to solve our leaky toilet. No one else is going to mow our lawns. No one else is going to be inspired to replace our blinds. We were being challenged to confront what we would tolerate and accept and what we would take responsibility for. Our lives had transitioned from being in someone else's environment to our own. With that, we had the autonomy to decide for ourselves. This is both exciting and terrifying. Enter our garden. Now, our kitchen looks out onto a blank fence and a scrappy piece of grass, stones and weeds, something we inherited from the last owners. Needless to say, we had a different vision. It was screaming for attention. As Soph and I dreamed with the limited space we had, we landed on some sort of hybrid mix of contemporary modern and inner city orchard. <laughs> Admittedly, it is an unusual combination, but perhaps it would one day be featured on Better Homes and Gardens. <laughs> so started a Pinterest board and I got a shovel. <laughs> Moments after I pressed my foot against the steel, breaking the ground, it became very apparent that our revolutionary garden wasn't going to be cultivated as easily as we had hoped. Our vision was about to be seriously confronted. Sandy, rocky, lacking color, no drainage, no worms, our soil was lifeless. The lush, fruitful wonderland was brought down to reality. It was completely dependent on the quality of our soil. It didn't matter how great our vision was, didn't matter how much we didn't like our fence. Our soil ultimately became the thing that would determine the outcome. Not only would it determine the outcome, in this case, it humbly was the only thing that was actually real. Needless to say, we were a little bit disappointed. So I went to the soil experts in my life which in this case was, was Tim and Rob. <laughs> and they agreed it wasn't looking good. So what do we do? How do we proceed? There were likely a number of options. Uh, and here's a few that came to mind. First up, blind hope. Let's ignore the evidence and just do it. Let's plant the seeds, the bulbs, the saplings, and cross our fingers really tight. <laughs> While this option was very appealing, I think the only thing worse would have been seeing everything slowly die as we watch in disbelief. <laughs> Next up, uh, just giving up. Uh, let's throw the dream in the too hard pile and our chances of being featured in better homes and gardens with it. Uh, this would have been very easy and frankly much cheaper. Um, who needs a garden when you can just look at a picture? And lastly, what may be obvious to the green thumbs in the room is that we could do what was required to transform the soil. As I have discovered, taking bad soil and transforming it into good soil is no easy feat. It's time consuming, messy, inconvenient, and practically dirty work. You may have guessed by now, but we chose the latter path. We chose to become good soil. We accepted that this would take time, that it wasn't a quick fix, that we would need help, and that practically we admitted without our intervention, the soil wasn't going to change itself. In this, I found God speaking. I found him inquiring of the soil of my heart, I found him inviting me to become good soil. This raised two questions. What would kingdom fruitfulness actually look like in my life? And what does the soil of my life actually look like? Practically, as we went about restoring our soil, 
what we've uncovered has proven uncanny, enlightening, and valuable in its nature. Now, no lie, as we turned the existing soil, we began to uncover small fragments, bits and pieces of stuff that seemed out of place. What at first was miscellaneous plastic very, very shortly became much, much more. A Sharpie, a foam yellow letter A, <laughs> a paintbrush, an army figurine, another Sharpie, a water balloon. Now we know where the plastic has come from. Another foam yellow letter, a beer bottle. <laughs> Not kidding, a dinosaur. <laughs> it was plastic. Nevertheless, we can say we dug up a dinosaur in our backyard. <laughs> Another foam letter. Surely we must have a name at this point. Hot Wheels Cars times three. And just when we thought it couldn't get any better, we hit the jackpot. 24 solid red bricks three dozen assorted aluminum beer cans, and what felt like someone buried a literal ball pit, too many to count, we found many, many colored balls. Not only was our soil bad, it also cameoed as a tip. <laughs> Between everything we found, we would have had everything we needed to build a children's playground that doubles as a bar. <laughs> I'm sure many parents would agree this would be a winning combo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So as I uncovered item after item, I felt the spirit impress on my heart to lean in, to have ears that hear, to have eyes that see, that the invitation of becoming was one where I would find myself facing the unknown. It was, in many senses, a loving invitation to surrender control and to put trust in the spirit. Where there was army figurines, I knew I would find resistance. Where there was a dinosaur, I knew I would find things I had long since forgotten, yet were present all along. Where there was a paintbrush, a future hoped for and since lost. A pen, a story to be told that never was. It was as if each item metaphorically pointed to something or some aspect of my life or the journey ahead. Practically, I was surprised that there was even anything in the soil in the first place. I just assumed I would find good soil. I just assumed it would have been cared for, thought of, and stewarded. This soil became what it was I mean that in the sense it didn't always contain a cornucopia of lost goods. It simply became a reflection of the environment around it. For good or bad, it was simply telling its story. We can and we do become many things in life. We are born, but then we become children. We become teenagers. We become adults. Some of us become parents and then grandparents. We become school teachers. We become business owners. We become coffee drinkers and then we become coffee snobs. <laughs> we also become busy. We become frustrated. We can become disillusioned. We can become purposeless. We are always becoming something. C.S. Lewis writes, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different than it was before and taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, all your lifelong, you are slowly turning the central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. 
that is better is joy, peace, and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to one state or the other. Can we become good soil? If you were to stop and pause, how would you answer this question? What are we becoming right now? In the, <laughs> in the Christian tradition, this process of becoming has been known as formation. Some of you might be familiar with the idea, others, this may be a new concept. But Paul writes in Galatians 4, verse 19, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Notice he uses the word formed. Writing in Greek, the word Paul actually uses is morpho. Does that sound familiar to any ears today? It is where we get the English word morph. In this sense, it's to take one thing, us, our lives, our past, our present, our future, our mind, emotions, beliefs, dreams, our whole being, and form it, shape it, mold it, transform it into another thing, this being Christ. Paul here tenderly reveals his heart, suffering in love for those he deeply cares for. He juxtaposes one of life's most beautiful and most painful moments with that of Christ being formed in us. As Lewis alludes to, formation isn't a human thing. It isn't a Christian thing, it's a human thing. Each and every one of us, each moment, each day, each revolution around the sun are becoming something. Christian, atheist, woman, man, old, young, liberal, conservative, communist, capitalist, those who bear the name human are those who are becoming something. Formation is taking place as monks sit in silence. Formation is taking place as Netflix is being binged. Hidden prayers, Instagram stories, all of it is formation. We are deeply shaped by the environment around us, so much so that we can be deeply unaware of how not only have we been formed, but deformed. Good soil, it appears, requires not only doing, but undoing. Said another way, fruitfulness in the kingdom is as much about repentance of sin, the healing of brokenness, the confrontation of shame, finding freedom from bondage as it is vision, growth, and faithfulness. This brings us to the words of Jesus. He teaches us there are four soils, three unfruitful for kingdom seed and one fruitful beyond our imagination. With its familiarity to our ears and with a cursory reading, we can come to the scripture with a sense that it is up to chance, that it is random and that it is just luck. Some people are good soil, which I tend to read myself into this category, don't, don't you? And others, bad soil. The problem with this reading is that the gospel points us inward to repentance, not outward to judgment. The other obvious problem is that, as my garden seems to poignantly illustrate, just because one assumes the soil is of a certain nature and quality doesn't mean it actually is. For simplicity, I'm going to overlay the paradigm of the world, the flesh, and the devil and relate these historic enemies to the soils we learn of in the parable. Practically, I just want to help us recognize these soils today. The ways and practices in which we can resist these enemies is a much larger and deeper conversation. First up, the devil. When anyone hears news of the kingdom and doesn't take it in, it remains on the surface. And so the evil one comes along, plucks it right out of that person's heart. This is the seed the farmer scatters on the road. 
Whether we acknowledge it or not, there is a spiritual struggle and contest over our formation, over whose image we are formed into the likeness of. Paul speaking in context of forgiveness in 2 Corinthians gives us this insight. He says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. The word designs can also be translated as devices, schemes, purposes. Paul seems to suggest that not only does Christ have a vision for our formation, but that the Satan, the deceiver, has schemes of his very own. Now, it's easy to imagine these schemes to be of a certain kind of nature, large, obviously evil. And while I think there is truth in that, a small lie can be very, very effective. Did God really say? Remember when Jesus says of Satan, he is the father of lies. And when he speaks, he, when he lies, he speaks his native language. A lie by definition cannot deliver on what it claims. Hence why there is no fruit. Recognizing the lies we believe is confronting I say that because in many ways we want to believe them. Now stay with me. Uh, John Mark Comer explains and gives this example in his recent book. Psst, hey you, Christian, Alvis is alive. Believe it. This lie has zero emotional bearing on our lives. It's a fact, a quick Google, and it's all resolved. He then gives this example from his own marriage. Hey, you deserve to be happy, and let's face it, you haven't been happy in your marriage for years. Your wife just isn't the right fit for you. It happens. You married way too young before you were self-aware. If you were to divorce her, I'm sure there would be someone else who would be a better fit and make you happy. While research confirms again and again, this is just as much of a lie as Alvis being alive, it comes differently to our hearts. These lies play to disordered desires, also known as the flesh. The seed cast in the gravel, this is the person who hears and instantly responds with enthusiasm, but there is no soil of character and so when the emotions wear off and some difficulty arises, there is nothing to show for it. In many ways, we can turn to God in the hope that he'll protect us from the challenges necessary for us to become good soil in the first place. We can come filled with enthusiasm, receive the word. We see growth, we see life, see a promise emerging, and yet we live in the shallow, rocky soils. This is a false hope. We can find ourselves living in a pattern, bouncing between enthusiasm and hopelessness, coming to God each time we lose our way or encounter trouble, finding his word, yet never letting it settle deep into the canvases of our heart. In this, it's easy to become bitter or resentful toward God when there are inevitable challenges. Yet, it's just as easy to never accept his invitation to become the kind of person who James writes is able to consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And the world, the weeds. In the message, Eugene Peterson translates Luke 8, and the seed that fell in the weeds well, these are the ones who hear, but the seed is crowded out and nothing comes of it as they go about their lives, worrying about tomorrow, making money and having fun. These words stopped me. It was like I was hearing it for the first time. Worrying about tomorrow, making money, having fun. This summarizes so well the spirit and desire of our time. Modern life, it seems, is that of making much money, enjoying consumeristic and materialist pleasures, all the while riddled with anxiety and fear of the future. Not only is the world shaped, it is, I found, shaping me. I felt the spirit speak. 
quiet and honest before God, I acknowledge that these weeds were present in my life. His grace let me see. His grace let me hear. His kindness led me to repentance. Author Ruth Haley Barden writes this. Approaches to formation that focus only on those places where we are fairly well along can become a defense mechanism for those places that are not yet formed in the image of Christ. What Ruth is claiming is that the more matured parts of our formation, the parts of our spiritual life that we falsely put our confidences in, can and indeed do become spiritual fig leaves allowing the unformed parts of our heart to remain unexposed to truth. And in doing so, it leaves us with the appearance of maturity without the necessary whole life transformation required to bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. Friends, this is rocky soil, and that allows us to maintain an illusion of depth, yet circumstance becomes the revealer of what lies in the soil of our lives. We can become willfully blind to reality, instead choosing to put hope in our own fabrications and projections. It shouldn't be, surprise, shouldn't be a surprise to us that within this parable, Jesus echoes the words of the prophet Isaiah. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. He who has ears, let him hear. It is not for lack of God speaking. It appears it is for lack of hearing. Let me briefly bring to your mind the rich young ruler. Rich. He had wealth. Ruler. He had influence. Young, he was idyllic, hopeful, self-assured, and righteous. He filled all the commandments. I've heard it said that this man would have been on the board of most churches. Yet, we're brought into this moment where Jesus and the young man come face to face. And Jesus gently confronts the undiscipled unformed places of his life. What does he say? You lack one thing. Go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, come, follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. He goes away sad. I can't help but think Jesus also goes away sad. Unfortunately, I think more than we like to admit, we may be guilty of rejecting the invitation of Jesus to be formed into his image. We can justify our choices, yet in moments of honesty, we can become brave enough to admit we're willing to be satisfied to settle into what's most comfortable, what's familiar, and what we've already achieved. Few may come away sad, I suspect many will never make the opportunity in the first place. Friends, I don't mean this to be discouraging, but instead to gently and lovingly prompt us to invite the spirit of Jesus to search us and know us and lead us into truth. I am reminded that God doesn't transform who we are pretending to be. We, I pray, are those who are becoming who, who live honest, open, transparent lives before God. See, like the rich young ruler, we can bring the same paradigm to our lives. Come, behold, look at my strength. In many ways, our strengths, while attributes that are gifts to be stewarded, shared, cultivated, can become hiding places for those parts that we consider weak, shameful or embarrassing. Yet as we see, Jesus first acknowledging and affirming the commandments, then lovingly invites the rich young ruler to become something more. The tension we feel here is that of competing visions of the good life, human fulfillment and purpose. 
culture says seek success. Jesus says seek the kingdom, wholeness and holiness. Robert Mulholland says this of spiritual formation. If indeed the work of God's formation in us is the process of conforming us to the image of Christ, obviously it's going to take place at the points where we are not yet conformed into that image. Let that settle in. Our formation, our discipleship to Jesus takes place at the very areas of our lives where we are unformed, where we are undiscipled. He goes on, this means that one of the first dynamics of holistic spiritual formation will be confrontation. Through some channel, the scripture, worship, a word of proclamation, the agency of a brother or sister in Christ, even the agency of an unbeliever, the spirit of God may probe some area in which we are not yet conformed to the image of Christ. That probing will probably always be confrontational and it will always be a challenge and a call to us in our brokenness to come out of the brokenness into wholeness in Christ. But it will also be a costly call because that brokenness is who we are. Soil doesn't become good by our focus on what's already good about it. It does so by our willingness to acknowledge the areas of brokenness, the areas requiring restoration before God. Honesty and transparency before God becomes our invitation to him to come and bring about transformation in our lives. I find this incredibly compelling that all my life would be that of a long obedience in the same direction becoming a person of agape love and finding wholeness in Christ. Yet in honesty, there's part of me which finds fear in this invitation, an agreement that says some things are better just left as they are, hidden, forgotten, unconfronted or accepted. That the idea that Jesus may lead me through the valley of the shadow of death in this invitation feels better left as a poetic sentiment than as a messy, uncomfortable, uncontrollable reality. Do you feel that? Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus, I trust you. Help me trust you. Psalm 139 says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We have to invite Jesus into the unexamined, hidden trust structures of the heart. We have to give the Holy Spirit permission to speak into our whole lives. Good soil, I've found, isn't a single choice. It is many, many choices in the same direction. Practically to finish, this does look like something. I can't say as an idea, something we acknowledge intellectually, but disregard with how we actually live our lives. As I lent into this for myself, for us, our family, our community, I just felt the Spirit invite us to have our hands open and humbly pray, eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. I just want to finish with, with these two questions. Where are we being formed into the image of Christ? And where are we being formed into another image?
Mate, thanks, Morris. Man, it's uh, yeah, what a great reflection and consideration on soil. You know, when I think about this family, I uh, I find myself grateful to be amongst gardeners. You know, people people with a passion for soil. You know, I think that is that is who we are. And I think this morning, you know, Morris, the way you've sort of taken this verse and applied it into your own backyard and extrapolate those ideas out for us really lets us reflect on was it what 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 does it look like to be those who uh consider and uh receive into the making of the soil from which everything of this life grows and so let's let's jump into some groups uh take we'll take 15 and and stop and chew on this idea of soil. Where, where are the thoughts or the pictures or the reflections that Marcel's sort of put out there this morning? Where do they touch us? Where do they challenge us? How do we think it works? <laughs> and, and on that practical interface, what does it look like uh, to see soil improvement, that the seed that's coming would bear good fruit in my life? What's it look like to be those who are seeing the soil of our lives becoming? So, all right, we'll jump. Let's do two groups in here. Greg and Lise, they're going to do their own room. Zoom, if, if people are kicking around, they can chat on there. That's great. Curtis is setting that up. So we'll take, yeah, let's take 15 and um, yeah, we'll come back together. Sounds great. Thanks, Mars. All right. Well, what, uh, what, are, what are a couple of the standouts that came out of our... Uh, our time sharing. What's the stuff we were chewing on? What are what's one of the themes that we were were chewing on that we just thought was really great in groups? The practicality of the gardening analogy, like yeah. the physical, like we could all totally relate to that, which then made it easier for us to relate. To our own to the heart and soul picture, and our, yeah. Yeah, what's going on inside. So I think we were all, um, yeah, super uh, A, challenged, but B, encouraged. Yeah. And um, I think we sort of all realised that, you know, gardening soil is not an easy deal. Yeah. You know, especially for things to grow and flourish. Yeah. And especially in the long term. Like sometimes I get super um, frustrated at Rob because he so has to pre-prepare everything so that it's just right and everything's going to grow really well or like renovating, you know, he does, he makes sure that the foundations are perfect before we do. And I'm kind of like, can't we just put like mm -hmm. some new concrete over the old concrete and, you know, that'll fix the problem. Whereas he's all about, no, I've got to totally... Yeah get it right from scratch because then we're building on that blah 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 and you know that in itself is just another analogy but it's building like it, yeah, <laughs> yeah blah, blah, blah. but it's like it's I think my modus operandus is let's just put a little bit of topsoil on and it, everything should grow okay yeah and when I look at the soil of my heart I think Often that's possibly where I go because that's an easy route. And digging down deep and finding all the dinosaurs doesn't sound... I'm not running to that. You I know, hear you. So, I hear you. But the fruit of doing that is just so amazing. Yep. That's the hard road. That's the narrow road. That's not the wide road, hey. And that's what Jesus talks about. But it's so easy for us to want to choose that wide road. Yeah, I love that. That's an irritating story you bring up because it's exactly what Rob told me when we did our rear garden. He said, I'll oh, get the excavator in, put some straw in, really dig it all up. I talked to the guy who was doing it. He's like, oh, come on. Like, this can cost you thousands and the machine and the time. And Rob was like, do it now. It'll never be easier. I did not do it. I did not do it. I really wish I had done it. It's so annoying what we're trying to accomplish now without... You know, when I think about that, that's an interesting picture too. There's moments, God opens moments, you know, there's moments in life that are purposed and when we take them, they're super productive, you know, like there are moments in our life where we're positioned and prepared. You know, I think about a six month trip that Leela and I took around Australia, like I just got out the excavator 
and it doesn't take a six month trip around Australia to be gardeners, but there's moments that he opens up and he says, if you'd trust me, if you'd let me, this is a season where we're going to really do something to the soil of your heart. And I think when we receive those moments, it comes a little easier when we partner with seasons, but also we can just, you know, it's, it's, it's an everyday thing and it's a seasons thing, you know, both, I think both are true. So without over, you know, leaning on the analogies, but yeah. Anybody from the the left side of the room? Is it? I guess so. If I'm sitting on that, yeah, we'll be the right side. Oh yeah, it's Grace, you're right. Let's double in. You practically talk the whole time, Grace. <laughs> I'm just so joking. Gold was flowing. What would you say, Grace? What would you say we themed out on our side of the room? Hello. I think, well, something that really stuck out for me, which I was chatting about, was the, um, I guess, misconception that I have had of growing in God and being formed into the image of God is leaning on things that I know he has already formed in me. So if I have the gift of hospitality or generosity, growing in my spiritual journey is to do more of that, um, when in reality, it's actually what you're saying, Mars, digging up those things that I'm actually avoiding and things in my heart that I haven't formed and things that are affecting the growth of the good fruit in my life and pouring all the water into one spot and looking really good from certain angles, like, you know, some of the neighbours might see, like, mm. the, the big tree growing, but they don't see everything else around that's... Yeah being neglected um mm. yeah and we're also just talking about our sort of image or a vision of our better homes and garden garden and whether that has been something that we have determined for ourselves and i think i can partner partner with god in doing good things in my spiritual journey to grow this idea of what a garden should be without actually um, going to God and asking him if that's what he wants me to grow. Um, and so in the end, it will just not weather the storm and not produce, it might produce fruit. And this is the, the idea right back at the beginning where you're talking about the Fortitude Valley and where all these great, amazing, worldly things are growing and I might achieve that, but it's not fruit for him so it's not worth anything <laughs> but mm. I can get really caught up in what I think is good and what I think God would want for me because it's easier than confronting what he might actually want yeah I love that yeah I love that yeah, I really like what you're saying in the beginning bit just around you know like our gifts are actually the beautiful parts of our garden that are already existing and on display and when I lean on those to feel like to prove my good soil I may refuse the the turning over work and I might just like, you know, keep pumping all the effort into the lemon tree that's on display. I really like that. And it's like, well, if there is more, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, I think the, you know, sort of the comments that I made sort of at the conclusion, I really feel like, you know, this is a, a family of gardeners, you know, it's a really, it's, it's a really good picture, um, you know, that's, that's, that's not new to us or not even unfamiliar to us, but to consider again today, you know, that it's like us um, to let God turn the soil over for, fruit, for more fruit, fruitful futures. You know, it's like us to trust God in the seasons where he's tilling and where it looks like everything's been torn up. You know, and it's, it's, it's like this family to trust God to come in and say, we're going to clear this garden bed. And I say, it's not like us to look out and go, it's too hard and we're going to give up. You know, but I love, I love that picture, you know, in looking at your backyard, Mars, of, you know, well, we've got options here. You know, we can, you know, mulch over what's here and six and potted plants around. That's not really what we hoped for. You know, we can give up and just say it's all too hard and this is going to be too much. Uh, or... You know, we can roll up our sleeves, partner with Jesus to see this soil turned over. And you know, I find it so encouraging to be surrounded by people that that's their desire. And it is uncommon. You know, there's always one or two or three or four 
uh, but it's uncommon to be in a in a pursuit of something that would say, hey, it's okay if there's a couple of seasons where there's no harvest because you're tilling the soil for a, for a bright future. Yeah, and I feel like this morning, as I started my time, we're gonna take communion, uh, sort of the place we're headed now. Um, but you know, I really felt like um, this morning I woke up with two stories in my head uh, just around my own life and what's happening, just events of my week, things that are landing on my table. Um, you know, I woke up with this story in my head of, God, you are really moving. Like things are, some things are really changing and some things are really moving forward. Like I found myself really taken by, you know, not even necessarily practically or functionally, but there were just some themes through this week. Well, hello. Uh, some themes through this week that were, um, you know, just so encouraging, so confirming. You know, it's not like, wow, there's the big breakthrough or there's the, you know, there's the million dollars or there's the problem solved or there's everything resolved. But it's like, wow, God, you are here and you are working and you are doing and not just in me. There's a, just, a, you know, hearing it come from place after place after place after place. That story was alive this morning as I woke up. And also as I woke up, there was this other story that was like, uh, the, the contrary of that. Oh, how's this going to work out? How's this going to play out? What's going to happen here? Oh, this isn't encouraging. Oh, this is discouraging. Oh, this is defeating. Both were there. You know, the light and the shade. I woke up with both of them in, in my mind this morning and, you know, and I started talking about the shade to Leela and Leela goes, um, I'm not too sure this is helping anybody, Brad. This is literally her words. And it's like, oh, for crying out loud, can a person share what's going on? She's like, I think we just need to not... I think like even stating these things and speaking them out isn't helping you and it's certainly not helping me. And I was like, you know what? I think there's truth to what you're saying. And, and so I went and I took a minute and I sat down and I was just like, Jesus, you know what, what's, what's happening here? And, um, you know, what, what's going on for me? And he just said, can you sit down for a minute? And he just said, I've, I, you know, can, can I, can I, can I give you something to feast on? And uh, I felt like Jesus was, this is a communion picture, obviously. And he was saying, you know, what about the, what about feasting this morning on the bread of my life? What about taking the cup of my sacrifice and the, the covenant that I've made with you? What about drinking that this morning? And so I felt like Jesus brought me the bread and he brought me the cup. And as I was, you know, just in, in my imagination, uh, sitting with Jesus and taking communion with him and hearing the words that he had to speak and hearing the things that were on his heart and on his mind, this hope story just started to lift. It just started to rise. You know, these things that are occurring and Jesus just said, this is your truest reality, that there's a door of hope that I'm opening in the season that you find yourself and that there is a light and a life that's coming among the people who are seeking my heart in this day, in this moment, in this space, in this time. And it's your option what you're going to feast on, Brad. Come and feast on me. Come and feast on the life that I'm building and I'm growing. Come and partner in your thinking with the stuff that I'm showing you. A life's going to flow. And I'm seeing the truth of that. And it doesn't mean that the shade isn't there. It doesn't mean that this other side of the coin is gone or irrelevant. But what am I going to feast on in my thinking? What am I going to feast on in my being? And, you know, I, I hear Jesus saying, I'm opening a door of hope for anyone who's going to choose to walk through it. You know, and there's a, there's a part of me, and I've been honest in the last couple of weeks, has said, you know, there's a part of me that's just wanting to give up, that's going, hope's too hard to hold on to. Trust is too risky. Believing is too hard, you know, but when, when I start partnering with that, there is such a ministry of defeat and discouragement that comes, but there's this door of hope that's there and it's free. I'm free to walk through it. I'm free today, this morning to walk through it and go, God, is it, is it not too dangerous to believe? Is, is it not too risky to, to go, this is what's true. And he's like, Brad, you're already seeing the fruit of it. Would you just keep coming? So this morning, I just feel like uh, in taking communion, I just feel like similar to my morning this morning, Jesus is coming to each of us and he's offering himself as the door of hope. He's offering his life and his sacrifice and his covenant with us, his spirit present with us, bringing life to the place we find ourselves. I feel like he's ministering a door of hope that says, feast on me and walk into a bright future, no matter what's happening around you. 
this place of feasting on the presence of Christ with us. His life in us is our door of hope. That it's, it's got nothing to do with the practicalities that are encouraging my heart. It's that wait here in this moment, he's overtaken this life and is with me. And uh, yeah, so I just, you know, in those thoughts, want to share communion together. So, I mean, the simplest, practicalest way is if we hop up, grab a cup and grab either the bread or the cracker for the, you know, the gluten-free option. You guys know how to figure that out. Let's do that now. Grab, grab the elements off the, off the tray at the back and uh, come and sit back down. Let's take these together. Somebody just hold it there. I don't know how. Oh, yeah, it doesn't look safe, does it? <laughs> This could be another coffee incident that opened the morning. <laughs> oh, good on you, Brody. If you're on Zoom, hopefully you've had a chance to grab uh, grab your best off the shelf and pour a shot. It's good to do communion from home. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, this is a moment where we're together in, and you know, I really believe that there's uh, um, yeah, this is a practical act of, of taking the bread and taking the cup. But I really believe this morning there's a ministry on this that's, that's really our opportunity to receive Christ as our door, uh, as our doorway to hope. And that, uh, you know, to receive this feast this morning of who he is, is, is to accept that this is a bright moment. This is a hope-filled place. So let's do that. Jesus, we take this bread your body, and we receive it as the life that you gave up for our sake. And so we take and we eat and we remember you this morning. We receive you. Jesus, we thank you for the cup that you bring to us, the a sacrifice that you made, the covenant that you made, that you would be with us, that your presence would go before us, that there'd be no valley that we'd walk through, that there'd be no mountain that we climbed, that your presence wouldn't be with us. And so we receive today this covenant of your spirit that says it's not on what you do, but on what I've done. It's not on what you can accomplish. It's not on the practicalities around you. It's not on what this world says you should accomplish. It's not on the indicators or the gauges or the dashboard that this world has set up that says this is what success looks like like, no, it's on the, the power of your presence with us that our lives would be yours, that we'd be caught up together in something of your kingdom and the things which you purpose for our lives. And so we take today the, this cup, Jesus, and we receive the life that you've poured out, that it would be ours. We receive, we receive the, the strength of hope that comes in that, that the future is bright, that the things that you will walk us into hard or easy, that we're ready and we're able and we're capable because you are with us. So we receive the, the cup, the reminder that life has been poured out for us and we receive it today. We take and drink in remembrance of you. So Jesus, would you just in the lives of each one of us open this door of hope to us in your presence that we would see the place that we find ourselves with the purpose in which you've given it to us, Father, that we would have a courage and a strength not to give up, not to give in, not to slow down, not to look for an easier way, but that life in you, we just declare that that is the place we desire. It's the thing that 
makes this life worth living? And would you take our lives and would you take our thoughts? Would you take our opportunities this week? And in this moment, would you open up a perspective of hope to us? Would you help us start to watch for the dashboard of your spirit that says, watch, watch these things turn, watch these things move. And so, yeah, we thank you this morning for the goodness of what you're doing and we receive it for ourselves and for each other. Yeah, and we thank you that this is a road we share in together. And we want to praise you this morning. We want to thank you for who you are, for the hope that we have in the place that we find ourselves with you. And so, yeah, we just commit ourselves to you, prayed in your name. Amen.